Nehemiah chapter 9 and uh, going through, you know, reading the scripture through this year, uh, using the chronological um, version of the, year, the annual scripture reading. And so you get to Nehemiah kind of last. Uh, it's one of the last books that you read through because in history-wise and chronologically, it is, it's last. And so I was, I was looking through that, and we've done this in recent days because uh, if you're doing a, a reading, you know you're, you're in the New Testament by now. Um, and I'm having trouble finding it. There it is. And I got to Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm going to read text here, um, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 19. And it says, But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hardened and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. But hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsook them not. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf, and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt, and had wrought great provocations, Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein thou should, they should go. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them and withheldest not thy manna from their mouth and gavest them water for their thirst. Yea, forty Forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations, and didst divide them into corners. So they possessed the land of Sihon, and the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multiplied thou as the stars of heaven and broughtest them into the land concerning which thou hadst promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. We'll stop there. I was going over this as I was reading and uh, Nehemiah is here renewing the covenant that he had that God had with his people he's renewing that covenant and he uh, he's rehearsing to the children of Israel some of their history and so as I was reading this and I was going through you know okay there's the story of him bringing them out of Israel and and of Egypt and and what he did for them in the wilderness and then I got to that verse, verse 22, that says, Moreover, thou gavest them the kingdoms and nations, and didst divide them into corners, so they possessed the land of Sihon, and the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. And I thought, 
how did Og and Sihon, how did their names come up here in the middle of this review of history? Why did he talk about Sihon and why did he talk about Og? I kind of did a second take when I got to that verse. Why Og? Why Sihon? Why are they here? Why would they, why not Jericho and the king of Jericho? Uh, why not uh, Chetamolier? I don't know if that's how you say that or not, but he was one of the main kings. You know, there were five kings and there were seven. Why not, why not that king? Why not one of the other kings? Why is Sihon and Og the kings that are spoken of here? This is a thousand years later. Over a thousand years later, Nehemiah is rehearsing to the children of Israel uh, some of their history. And as he does, he brings up Sihon and Og. Sihon and Og. Why is Sihon and Og here? When you say these names, you've just got to say them in a special way. Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. You know, you got to say it that way. Og. King of Bashan. You got to say it that way. Uh, it has more. It has more strength to it when you say it. These were these were kings. Why are these kings remembered a thousand years later? I mean, I would have thought Jericho and the walls falling down. That's what I would have said. I would have done something. I would have. I would have said the day the sun stood still when Joshua prayed. And they were able to defeat the king. That's the ones I would have brought up. But for some reason, he brings up Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan. Why does he do that? Why? A thousand years later. And so that's what I began to think through. Why, why, why are we remembering this? What is the importance of Og, the king of Bashan. What is the importance? Why are they listed here? Why are they remembered? And so we, I went back in the text. You go back to Numbers chapter 21 is the story of their victory over Sihon and Og. It's also recalled just a, just a, less than a year later, uh, when Moses in Deuteronomy is rehearsing the history of their wanderings in the wilderness, he brings it up to them, and he goes over how that they won the victory over Sihon and how they won the victory over Og. You also find one of the primary psalms, Psalm 136. I remember this psalm when I was, when I was a student, and Sister Sherwood, Sister Chase, directed the first Thanksgiving play, and, and many of us were a part of it. She was, she was instrumental, a lot like Sister Jarvis is today, to, to put on the Thanksgiving program. That was her role then, and she would, she would direct the first Thanksgiving play. And at the end of that play, she would have the Reverend Brewster, is it Brewster, the reverend? Have him come out, whoever was playing him, and read Psalm 136. And I always noticed as a kid in Psalm 136 that Sihon, king of the Amorites, was brought up. And Og, king of Bashan, was brought up in Psalm 
136. Why is this such a memory? It was something that in near history, a year later, when, 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 less than a year later, when they were ready to cross Jordan and Moses was about to die, that he brought up the victory that they had just had. And then the psalm was written and it was, it was spoken year after year as they would come to worship the Lord. There's also the understanding in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat is going out to battle, most scholars understand that the psalm that the singers sang as they went out to meet them in battle was Psalm 136. And Psalm 136 talks about the defeat of Sihon and the defeat of Og. This was something that was in the memory of the Hebrews constantly, constantly in their memory. And uh, it was constantly brought up, even so much that we see Nehemiah here at the end. He's the last one to come back and to finish the job of settling the people of Israel into their land. And here he is after they've rebuilt the wall. Ezra's been a part of rebuilding the temple. Now Nehemiah is part of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and getting the settlement, the resettlement, the coming back from exile. And here he is renewing the covenant. That's what's going on in this chapter. He's getting them all together and saying, this covenant, we broke this covenant. We messed it up. We lost it all. But we're going to renew this covenant with God. And when he does... He remembers their victory over Sihon and Og. Just to give you a little, little chronology of the story, we know God brought them out of Egypt. He defeated Pharaoh and Egypt with the ten plagues. Their, their final plague of the Passover and the death of the firstborn and then a few days later Pharaoh's heart is hardened again and he goes after them and we know the ultimate victory was when the horse and the rider were cast into the sea and they were delivered from Pharaoh and so then we know they move they move on through the wilderness and they get to Kadesh Barnea they get to Kadesh Barnea which is the south part of Israel, they were they were they were on the southern end of Israel, and they were they sent the spies north into the Promised Land, and the two spies came back with a good word. Ten spies came back with a bad word, and they said, "No, we can't take it." And so all of Israel lost faith, and they they doubted God, and so God judged them and said, "None of you are going to go in. You're going to wander in this wilderness." And so for forty years they wandered in the wilderness. And that's what Nehemiah is talking about there in verse, uh, in verse eight, verse nineteen. It says, uh, verse eighteen. They brought up the golden calf when God was given the law. They wouldn't go into the promised land, uh, but He did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein thou should go. Thou gavest also to them thy good spirit and to instruct them and withheldest not thy manna from their mouths and gave them water for their thirst. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing and their clothing waxed not old and their feet swelled not. And so... You've got them coming out of Egypt. You've got them doubting God and not 
moving on into the promised land and God having to, to judge them. And they wandered in the wilderness, but it still says that his manifold mercies, he didn't forsake them. He didn't say, well, you guys, good luck. I'll come back for you a little bit later. I'll come back for you a little bit later when you learn your lesson. Did you ever tell your kids, you, you go to your room till you learn your lesson? I don't know if I ever learned the lesson in my room. <laughs> I just don't know if I did. Uh, I got distracted with other things. But uh, God didn't say, go, go to the wilderness until you learn your lesson. You know, mom and dad weren't in there, so I just went and played. I, got a, I was a little disappointed for a while. You know, I guess dad, dad's thinking I should have whipped this boy a little bit more now he's talking. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I just, just went to playing after I got over having to be sent to the room. There was lots of fun things to do in the room. But God didn't say, go to the wilderness when you learn your lesson, I'll come back. for No, he went with them all the way. He didn't let any manna, he didn't let their mouth go empty. Not one day of those 40 years. He did not let them thirst. Now, there were a few times they thought they were thirsty. There were a few times they were close to being thirsty. And they, they thought they were about to die. Have your kids ever done that to you? I'm so thirsty. I'm going to die. No, they weren't there yet. They weren't patient enough with God. God went with them. He never let thirst. They thought they were thirsty, but he never let thirst come on them. He gave us them water for their thirst. He put manna in their mouth. He went with them day in and day out. That pillar of fire never left them at night. That pillar of cloud never left them at day. He was with them Every day in that wilderness, though they had so uh, pushed against him and so doubted him and went in unbelief and they so complained and murmured, God never left them. Now, I've got frustrated a few times and said, I just got to go somewhere else. But God didn't lose his uh, patience with them. He didn't. Uh, on occasion, he, he kind of talked a little bit like we do. He said, I'm just going to get rid of you and start over again. <laughs> but he didn't do that. He went with them all the way. The 40 years passed. Yay, 40 years. I like the way that, uh, that, that Nehemiah says it. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not. It was your mercy that had so many different corners to look at that we can't comprehend your mercy. The manifold mercy, I mean, there's lots of different ways you can look at it. There's lots of different ways the mercy, uh, you know, a manifold is something that feeds. So that's one way to look at it. It's something that feeds, and it feeds it from different directions, uh, there's, there's sometimes with, with plumbing, there's a manifold where that one water source comes in and then there's six or eight or ten water sources that go out. 
That's the manifold mercies of God. It doesn't matter what direction you've got to and where you've come to. God's mercy can reach you. You are not beyond the reach of God's mercy. Oh, you're saying, well, God, it's, it's a one. No, his mercy comes from every direction. You, you, we, you and I do not even understand or comprehend all the ways God's mercy comes to us. His mercy comes to us in all kinds of different ways. Another way to look at that word of manifold is, is like the, facet, the, the many faceted, the aspects of a diamond, all the edges, the way that it can glitter from one direction or the other. And you look at it and you see the brightness. No matter where you stand, you're going to see some sort of flicker of light, some sort of aspect of beauty that's going to come forth. That's the way the mercies of God is. It doesn't matter where we stand. We can see his mercy and his mercy that's sent to us, the manifold mercy of God. He didn't let them get hungry. He didn't let them get thirsty. And while it was at it, I love the way Nehemiah, he uses this, this wording several times. Thou gavest also thy good spirit. Thy good spirit. Makes me think of Ruby and May. They use that word good. Oh, we had some good food. Uh, it, was, it was a good time. Thy good spirit, the good Lord. The goodness of God. It was his good spirit to instruct them. It's like he was just so kind and thoughtful and patient. And he is. He gave them that good spirit to instruct them. Didn't hold back food. Didn't hold back water. For 40 years thou didst sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Their clothing waxed not old and their feet swelled not. Wow. Now, I'll just tell you, where we've been this week, my feet got wore out. <laughs> and my feet were screaming every day. We stood in line after line. We walked here and there and everywhere. And my feet were screaming by the end of the day. They walked for 40 years. And it says their feet did not swell. I've been having trouble with my heel Plantar fasciitis, they say. I don't know about that, but it hurts. And I have foot pain regularly here this last year. They went 40 years and their feet did not swell. What about that? That's amazing. That is the manifold mercy of God. God was with them at every turn. And so as the story goes, there was 40 years. Their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is over. God said, it's time for you to go. You have passed this mountain enough. You have traveled in this wilderness enough. It's time for you to move out. And so God said, it's time for them to move out. And he gave them instructions. He said, I want you, you're going to go by Edom. And you're not going to take Edom because Edom doesn't belong to you. I promised it to Esau. He said, and then you're going to go by Moab. You're not going to go into Moab, and you're not going to take Moab because I promised that to Lot's son. You're not going to go into Ammon. You're not going to go in that area because that was the other son of Lot. But I'm going to take you through the land of the Amorites. Well, Moses, his regular job, his regular plan was to ask passage 
through a country. And we know the story that, that when he got to Moab, he said, we want to pass through on the king's highway through Moab, and we won't touch anything, we won't take anything away, whatever we need, we'll buy from you, we'll pay for it. And Moab said, no, I won't let you go. And so they had to go south. They went south from the Kadesh Barnea area. They went down south to where you touch that little peninsula of water. And then they had to go north. It was kind of like God was slingshotting them into something they didn't know what was coming. Because they went south and they came back up around and they got to the west, the eastern side of the Jordan. And now they've come to this place called Heshbon, the land of the Amorites. And so Moses does the same thing. He says, Heshbon, uh, he says, Sihon, we're going to come through your country. We don't want anything from you. Whatever we need, we'll buy from you. But that wasn't God's plan. Moses got it wrong that time. But you know what? God is merciful. Even when we try to make a plan that's wrong. And so God hardened, it says God hardened the heart of Sihon and he would not let them pass. And in fact, God, it, it even, it, he even came to the point that he went out to attack the children of Israel. Why? God's plan was for them to possess this land. His plan was for them to possess this land. And so Sihon, there in Numbers chapters 20, 21, in chapter 20, he comes out and he comes to fight against them. Now Sihon was a formidable enemy. He was a, he was a great warrior. His name indicates that, that he was a great warrior. And uh, there was even, he was such a great warrior, they had wrote a song about him. They had wrote a song about him, and they had, uh, that, uh, that he was such a fierce warrior. And it's there in Numbers, chapter 20, 21 and verse 27. They get to this guy, this guy Sihon. He had defeated the Moabites already. Come into Heshbon, let the city of Sihon be built and prepared. For there is a fire gone out of Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It hath consumed Ar of Moab and the lords of the high places of Arnon. Woe to thee, Moab, thou art undone, O people of Chemosh. He hath given his sons that escaped and his daughters unto captives into captivity unto Sihon, king of the Amorites. There was a song written about this great warrior king because he had invaded Moab and had overcome Moab. This was a man of renown. This was a king that all the Canaanites knew about. about. Sihon was, was a Canaanite. He was, he, was a son, uh, he was a son of Canaan. He lived there on the east, uh, the west, the east side of the Jordan, and he, he was one of their renowned kings. He had gained, uh, he was a famous king. He was a great king. He was some that, someone that everyone feared. Moab had come under his control and under his authority. He had fought against them and won. They were under him. And so when Israel gets there in the face of this warrior king, God says, go fight. And God gives them the victory. Now, we're not told a lot about the battle. We're just told that Sihon came out to fight them, and God gave them the victory, and they won. They took city after city from Heshbon. They destroyed Heshbon. And then another king that was, a, a, they was 
So the kings in those days, were in, they were in communion. They worked together. There was another king just north. This is Og, the king of Bashan. The scripture tells us that he was, he was a giant. He was one of the remnant of the giant. Deuteronomy tells us when, when, when Moses rehearsed, he, 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 he talks about Og being one of the remnant of the giants. He was one of the last giant kings. Uh, Moses tells us that his bedstead was made of iron. He had an iron bed. This is how big his bed was. It was 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. Talk about a king-sized bed. He was a giant. He was much like Goliath. He was a formidable warrior as well. He was a man of renown. He was a famous king. But Israel began to move north. Og, king of Bashan, comes out to fight them. And without any trouble, they are able to win the victory. The Bible tells us they took 60 cities away from Og. What was God doing? God was giving them, God was giving them their possession. The country that they took from Sihon and the country they took from Og was given to Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That was the country that was given to those tribes. This was their possession. God was already doing the work of giving them what he promised when they overcame Og and Sihon. What was significant about this? Sihon and Og were the Pharaoh of a new generation. The old generation had been a part of seeing Pharaoh taken down. But this new generation, they might have been little kids when they came out of Egypt. But this new generation needed a victory of their own. They needed a win of their own. They needed to see something for themselves. And instead of Pharaoh being defeated, it was Sihon and Og. That's why it was remembered for years and years to come. Because God was saying, this is the down payment of my promise to you. I promised you this land. I promised it to Abraham. I promised it to Isaac. I promised it to Jacob. I promised it to all of you. And this is the beginning of what I'm going to do for you. Sihon and Og were the, new gen were the Pharaoh for the new generation. It was God proving himself to this new generation of Israelites that he will fight their battles and he will give them the victory it wasn't just Pharaoh that was defeated we've got a new generation coming out of the wilderness I'm going to give you a victory as well this victory over Sihon and Og it marked the end of their wanderings in the wilderness you know that wilderness was a long string of failures it was a long string of experiences where they they missed what God wanted to do, yet God still kept his promise. They failed him time and time again. They failed him even after this battle. Even after this battle is the story of Balaam and Balak, where Balaam could not curse. Ba Balak was watching from Moab and seeing everything that was being done to Sihon king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan. Balak was watching all that happen, and he said, I got to do something. And so he hired Balaam to curse them, but Balaam couldn't curse them. 
He could not curse them. He was watching all this. But Balaam, we, talk, we read about the sin of Balaam in the New Testament. He was able to bring in some compromise. To the, they still failed God. Within the same year they win this victory, they still had a failure in, marry, in bringing in these women from these, false, from these Canaanite people. They still had failure. And God judged them. In chapter 21, at the beginning of the chapter, they complained. And that's where God brought in the snakes. So right before they take Sihon and Og, they got the snakes. They got the complaining. The snakes come in to judge them. He has to raise up the serpent in the wilderness. Then God gives them the victory. After the victory's over with, they mess up again. They mess up again. And they bring in the women, and they, they commit fornication, and they bring in the idols, and all of that. They mess up, and God has to judge them again. And we know Phinehas is the one that stands up to make things right. And so they mess, it's like, they mess, this is a new generation that's got all the same problems their parents had. They got all the same issues their parents had. But you know what? God wasn't going to leave them. God wasn't going to leave them. He was not going to leave them out. He was not going to let them stay where they were. He was going to move them on. He was going to keep them moving. And the victory meant the end, end of the wandering in the wilderness. And it, was, it marked the beginning of God's fulfillment to his people. Even though they had mistake after mistake. Well, we know after they get into Israel, they have the, they have the thing with Achan and Ai. They make the mistake of making the compact, the compact with Gibeon. Yet God was always faithful. When you look at what Nehemiah says there in chapter, in, in chapter 9, uh, he talks about the mercy. of yet It says, this manifold mercy, his good spirit that he gave them. Uh, it talks about, uh, later on, it says, uh, verse 27, according to thy manifold mercy, he talks about that again. Verse 31, nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, hast thou, thou didst not utterly consume them or forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. It's not about the thing, it's not how bad our sin is. It's not how big our failure is. It's how great God's mercy is, is what matters. I think sometimes we uh, who have a, a Pentecostal holiness bent, we sometimes fail to preach the, how important the mercy and how big God's mercy is. I think we, we fear of, of that it'll, it'll bring too much licentiousness. To people, if they feel like the mercy of God is so big. But the reality is, the mercy of God is bigger than you and I can even comprehend. Because God did not give up on these people. He did not leave them in their mistakes, in their, in their failures, in their sin. His manifold mercy was always there. He never quit. So I think sometimes we do an injustice to God's mercy in our, in our desire to make sure that everybody lives right and everybody gets, is doing what they need to do. But the re, and that's, I don't think we should stop telling what should happen because God didn't leave them in their sin. He judged them. 
He judged them for their sin, but he never gave up on them, and he never cast them away, and he never sent them off. He was always with them. And when, when the judgment came and there was repentance, God was right there with them to give them another victory. We don't have to get ourselves back to some special place before God can make us an overcomer again. It was within the same year the serpent had to be lifted up. Within the same year the, uh, the Phinehas had to stand up against the fornication that was going on. It all happened all for, on one side of the victory and on the other side of a victory, but it was God's mercy that never failed. And I think that's what we get from this. Because I want to look with you now at Psalm 136, and I want to review those verses and such important verses that they are. If you look at this chapter in Psalm 136, it starts talking about just every verse ends with, for his mercy endureth forever. Every verse of Psalm 136 has a chorus, you might say, a refrain, for his mercy endureth forever. The first three verses, just the first four verses talk about just God. He's the, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords. To him who alone doeth great wonders. It's just talking about God and how big and how great he is. That he is God. He is Lord of lords. He is God of gods. There's none like him. And then it goes into creation. It looks at how big God is in creation. He is the great creator. And that's verse uh, verse 5 through 9. And then it, from verse 10 through 16, it remembers bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. It remembers bringing, him, bringing them out of Egypt. Uh, verse 10, to him that smote Egypt, brought out Israel from among them, verse 11, with a strong hand, with a stretched out arm, to him which delivered the, the, to him which delivered the Red Sea into divided the Red Sea into parts and made Israel to pass through in the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea to him which led his people through the wilderness. It, for his mercy endureth forever. And now these next, these next six, seven, eight verses talk about Sihon and Og. To him who smoked great kings, you know who he's talking about, The psalmist hasn't said it yet, but everybody knows who he's talking about. And slew famous kings. You know who he's talking about? Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his mercy endureth forever. Og, the king of Bashan. For his mercy endureth forever. All the failures that went on between verse 10 and verse 20. Where is it at? Doesn't recollect those failures. You know where they are? They're under his mercy. They're under his mercy. And gave their land. Not only did you defeat them, you gave their land for an inheritance. For his mercy endures forever. 
even an heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. God didn't want them to forget. In the middle of all your failures, I never failed to give you the victory. Oh, I had to, I had to bring some judgment. I had to correct you. I had to set you straight. But my mercy was always available. My mercy was always there. It doesn't matter where we've come to or what we've done. His mercy is there. It's the deliberate mercies of God that are extended to us. And they're extended to us in great ways. I was looking at what Charles Spurgeon said about these verses in Psalms. And he talked about how that, how that they took so many verses to talk about this one little story. Took so many verses. And it kind of, the way that he said the poet just kind of lets you absorb it and let it sink in. He slew great kings. He slew famous kings. He could have just said it all together. The great famous kings, Hihon and Og, were defeated. But no, and Spurgeon said it, it should soak into us how great God's mercy is. We don't need to pass over how quickly how great God's mercy is. But we need to remember each and every mercy that has been brought to us. We need to savor each and every moment that we have been privileged to experience the mercy of God. And His mercy doesn't stop because what does every verse in Psalm 136 say? His mercy endureth forever. It doesn't stop. It continues. It is always there for us. Oh, there may be a trial. There was a battle to fight against Sihon. There was a war to be made against Og, but his mercy did not leave. These people did not deserve his mercy. Even a heritage unto Israel, they didn't deserve his mercy. You and I do not deserve his mercy. None of us do. Israel did not deserve his mercy. They had made a calf. That's what Nehemiah remembered. They had complained about the manna. They had complained about the water. They had complained about Moses. They, they did not deserve his mercy. You and I do not deserve his mercy. Our lives, you might say sometimes your life is one failure after another. But you know what? His mercy is always there. His mercy is always there. I did not conquer my sins. It was not Israel that conquered Sihon. It was not Israel that conquered Og. Og. It was the mercy of God that gave them the victory. I didn't conquer my sin. It was the mercy of God that conquered my sin. The greatest enemy of my life, that, that accuser, Satan, I don't defeat him. It's God that defeats him. It's his mercy that endureth forever. If I win a battle, it's because of his mercy. I don't need to get all caught up in myself as being some spiritual giant. Oh, it's all him and it's all his mercy. If I I fail to rely on his mercy, that's when my pride has got the best of me. I don't conquer my sin. I don't conquer the enemy. It's his mercy. It's his mercy that endureth forever. His mercy came to them. And God said, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to move on. Even in their failures, he said, 
as he, as he had to bring judgment, he said, I'm still ready to move on. I think sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, there's somewhere I've got to get before God can... No, it's just his mercy. I don't have to bring myself to a place. I just have to fall on his mercy. I just have to rely on his mercy. And he will give us the victory. For those, you know, there may be some that you're still in your sin. His mercy endures forever. Uh, you can't defeat your sin on your own. It's his mercy that will do that. The famous enemies. What are the famous sins in your life? Paul talked about sins that so easily beset us. What are those enemies? What are those things that need defeated in your life? It's his mercy that's going to defeat them. It's his grace. It's his mercy that's going to be able to give us the victory over it. And he can overcome that famous sin in your life, that great sin in your life, and he can give you a heritage right in the middle of where that used to be. He can give you a heritage right in the middle. That prodigal that came back, it was the mercy that took him back. It can make and does make the difference. It's his mercy that we depend upon. Why was Sihon, why was Og so important? It was for them to remember his mercy. It wasn't a battle they won. It was a battle God gave them the victory in. As we overcome as Christians, it's not a battle I win in myself. It's a battle he wins because of his mercy. It's the only way we get victory. It's the only way we come out of, of our our sinfulness. It's the only way we come out of our pride. It's the only way we come out of our, our lust and our covetousness. It's the only way we get out of it. It's his mercy. We don't get out of it on our own. It's his mercy. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we can turn to you in all our failures, in all our sinfulness. Lord, in you in no wise will cast us out when we come to you. Lord, we don't have to do something special, but your mercy is there. You'll bring us the victory. You'll help us to overcome. You'll see us through. Lord, help me not to rely on myself. I can't beat the enemy in my life. Lord, I can't beat the enemy of discouragement in my life. I can't beat the enemy of anxiety. I can't beat the enemy of lust. I can't beat any of that on my own, Lord. It's your mercy that overcomes those enemies. It's your grace. It's your goodness that sees me through. Lord, we can't make it if you're not there. But, Lord, you've promised us. You've given us a promise we can come into this promised land of victory. We can overcome, and it's you that's going to see us through. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that see in their life a great enemy. They see in their life a great area of sinfulness or failure. Lord, I pray that you'll help them today to throw themselves at your mercy. And Lord, put their trust in you and let you give them the victory over the sin over the, the, the failures. Lord, we trust in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And we thank you for that.